0: Hello friends and welcome back to the podcast. We are a little bit into our new series on workers' compensation cases in the state of Kansas. And first we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the broad strokes, the overview of Kansas Work Comp. And so now, starting today, uh, we're going to get into the meat of this and usually it starts with treatment when you get hurt. So that's where we're going to start our discourse. With me uh, is Gary Albin. I'm Todd King. Of course, we're two of the three partners at the Accident Recovery Team here in Wichita, Kansas. So, Gary, let's start with treatment, right? This all is, right. Uh, I think, probably one of the distinguishing factors under Kansas law, as opposed to some other states. Sure, I would agree with that. Which is probably a, a, a point to interject that, you know, these are all state laws. There's not a a federal statute in play here. What we're talking about, each state can have its own distinct work comp laws, and some of them vary. And one of the points where they vary, in Kansas anyway, is that the insurance company, under state law, has the right to designate your treating doctor if you've been hurt at work. Um, Some states, Texas is a good example, where they don't have that. Uh, You can go treat with your doctors and you can end up arguing about the bill, uh, but in Kansas, they have the right to appoint the doctor, and what we're going to go over a little bit today is is there are significant ramifications of that simple statement, the fact that they get to appoint the doctor. Um, let's start with... Um, authorized versus unauthorized medical care. Sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, mean, I might just even add to what you were saying. I think for most people that come in and retain us as their counsel, getting appropriate, uh, immediate medical attention is maybe one of the, maybe the single biggest issue that they want to have. And the way it's set up in Kansas, in so much as the employer and the insurance company have the right to at least initially designate the authorized treating physician, it it encourages them to go ahead and actually appoint somebody. So once you report an injury to a worker or to your employer, you want to see if they will go ahead and tell you which doctor to go to, because what you're talking about is called authorized medical care. Uh, Authorized medical care is treatment that either the employer or their insurance carrier uh, directs you to, or ultimately that a judge would order. So, so much as employers are allowed to go ahead and designate uh, the first or the doctor initially, most of the time they will try to do that because truth be told, they will try to probably steer you to somebody who may be um banking on trying to get repeat business from yeah there's yeah the companies you're
0: you're you're diving right into kind of the the biggest issue yeah uh there are several implications of, of authorized care, okay. And the first is that if it's authorized care, the work comp carrier is going to pay for it.
1: 100%. 100%. There's no. no
0: copays. There's no deductibles on the injured worker's end of things. In fact, the statute's clear that, well, let's back up. The insurance company has to pay the bill under what's called a fee schedule. So it's a reduced rate for them. But the balance of whatever's left after that bill is paid cannot be sent to or, or be the responsibility of the injured worker. It's just washed off it's gone that's right so there is nothing there's no copays deductibles anything like that as long as the injured worker goes to the authorized doctor the, the the obvious implication then is well there's such a thing as unauthorized medical now there's no prohibition against that there's nothing that says you can't also go to your family doctor if you want to it's just you know keep in mind they're not going to pay for it and you and I have been around and around on, on this with insurance companies and things. Uh, you know, you get the insurance, the work comp insurance, obviously saying we're not paying for that. We didn't have it. But then you have the health insurance side of it saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, we don't want to pay that bill because it's related to a work comp claim. Work comp should pay for that. Um, that's a standoff that we've had to deal with.
1: Right. And yeah. a, in a- that Can really come back if uh, the judge doesn't see it our way. That can really come back to kind of bite an injured worker. Uh, well, you can imagine where it might bite them in and the, the pocketbook, I guess, there, in, the, and in, the, the, in the wallet, <laughs> exactly. Because, right, you are comp, they do have an obligation to pay up to $500 of unauthorized care. Uh, so in other words, you can go to another doctor to get another opinion and submit that bill, and they only have to pay $500. So if you go to your an unauthorized doctor, like your family doctor, they do an MRI and you have a $1,500 bill. Uh, yeah, you can, and you're thinking, well, maybe my health insurance will pick up the rest. No, you're exactly right. You can maybe get $500 of that bill paid through work comp as unauthorized, but your health insurance will say, if this is work
0: comp, that we're not responsible for. And, you know, that's another example of how antiquated some of this system is. That $500 unauthorized allocation, which, by the way, is a reimbursement. It's not money you get. You've got to incur the expense first. That $500 unauthorized allocation, that was set decades ago. And the cost of treatment has gone uh, nothing but up since then. And it's never been adjusted for that inflation. So that should probably be looked at legislatively. You know, the judges are good, though, that if you have that standoff between the health insurance, if you've incurred this bill and the insurance company from work comp isn't paying it, and your health insurance is denying it, if you get in front of a judge and actually get an order, a declaration from the court that no, it's not covered by work comp, then many times, most times, in fact, the health insurance will will have to accept that court's decision and go ahead and pay that bill. With that, though, you're back into the realm of copays and deductibles. So, right. um, so authorized, unauthorized, and then. You hit on kind of the the biggest point in all of this, Gary, which is once the insurance company has that right to designate, that's an important word in the statute because it talks about appointing or designating. It in no way in the language of the statute says the insurance company can control the doctor. You and I both know they do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, and it's a chicken and egg thing. I don't know if the insurance companies pick certain doctors because they have a very conservative approach or the doctors develop a conservative approach so they can keep getting picked by the insurance companies. You know, it's it's a circular argument, but nonetheless, it exists. And it's fairly, you know, we see you and I see the same doctors appointed over and over and over again. Um, there's kind of an approved list that the insurance companies know to use certain people because they they can expect conservative opinions from them um and that they have a little more control over them All right. You know, and, and one thing, I guess, maybe it's so
1: obvious I don't even need to mention it. But if it's a situation where somebody, um, heaven forbid, sustains a bad cut at work and they're bleeding and there's an um, there's an ambulance that's called or you have to go to an emergency room, that's kind of an exception. You don't have to wait and make sure the employer tells you, yeah, or the insurance company tells you you can go there. If it's for emergent care, emergency situations, uh, I mean, I guess technically I've seen insurance companies try to argue that's unauthorized, but the judges kind of realize you don't have time to go ahead and get authorization on sure. there like that. But on the other hand, if you're a week out after an injury, you've been sent to an authorized doctor, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're having pain and you feel like, I need to go to an emergency room, those type of issues get contested a lot. And so uh, that's not to say that... Uh, An injured worker is going to get stuck with that bill, but frankly, that's probably a scenario where you need to get an attorney to make sure you have your voice heard and and you get those bills put where they're supposed to go, which would be the insurance company.
0: And, And let's be clear. We are not casting shade. We're not throwing rocks at all doctors out there that do work for insurance companies. Some of them are good treating doctors and and good people. Some are good guys.
1: I think the majority of them are. Fair statement.
0: I think so. Uh, It's just that if, if you're an injured worker in Kansas in the middle of a comp case or the beginning of a comp case, I would suggest that you probably need to talk to us or somebody like us because you are probably not as well versed in the role these doctors play as we are. Fair statement. Yes. Um, And we could maybe address things that are going to be coming down the road, even if you don't see it now. Right. Um, Some of the things. Um, One is that, uh, you know, when you get hurt at work, you might have injuries that are located in more than one body part. The insurance company may be accepting or not accepting that body part or that body part. And when you're referred to the doctor, who's the doctor listening to? Right? The one in, over his shoulder in his ear is the one that's paying the bills, the insurance company. If they say, treat his right knee, ignore his left ankle, because we're not going to cover that, that's what that doctor's going to do. Um, and so frequently, the issues that we get faced with uh, would be: is the doctor addressing all of the complaints made by our client? Um, it is a significant issue sometimes because uh, there is a distinction under Work Comp law as to scheduled injuries versus body injuries, right? Correct. The two different categories that
1: the Work Comp system sets out.
0: And. Those are found, scheduled injuries are found at 44-510-D under the Kansas statutes. 44-510-E addresses the body injuries. So the short version of this, correct me if I misstate, your summary might be different than mine, but if it's an isolated limb or body part, it's gonna be on the schedule list. Generally, that's right, yes. If it's the head, the neck, the trunk, or a combination of body parts, um, particularly parallel limbs, it's going to be over in the next category of a body injury. Fair, right? Exactly. Right. All right. And the first time that you see the authorized treating doctor, it is incredibly important that you make sure they document all your complaints. Even if they're saying they're not going to treat them all, you really got to do your part to make sure that they're at least documenting those complaints. Because if we have to step in and challenge that, We'll talk in a minute about how to do that. Um, It's going to be incumbent upon the client that the records, the medical records, are making note of those things. Mm -hmm. That's that's right. But maybe...
1: I, maybe it would help if we kind of use sort of a hypothetical example to kind of show how some of this works. Yeah. You, let's say, for instance, and this isn't referring to an in, a particular person, but this is sort of an example, of the type of of uh, situation we see a lot of times when somebody calls in. Let's say uh, a person is working at a job and they uh, hurt their knee, they fall and hurt their knee. Uh, if it's and let's say it's your left knee, it's it's one particular knee. Uh, if you go ahead and uh, you want to report that to the uh, employer, and many times, not every time, but many times, what they'll first do is send you to kind of a triage place, an immediate care place, or some other place where they're not to disparage the doctors or good doctors, but their job is to kind of evaluate what's going on. And if you get good treatment and the symptoms resolve, that's great. But if they persist, part if, if At some point, probably what's going to be important, or at least what most of the judges and, and uh, how the situation often works is you may need a referral to a specialist to see why these issues are going on like an orthopedic doctor. Sometimes people will contact us because, one, the employer hasn't sent them to anybody to get checked out. Well, that's easy to say. You need to hire us right away so we can file the paperwork to press their hands. Sometimes they've been sent to a, an immediate care place or someplace that's sort of a triage unit, but they're kind of stuck there. They've been released from care, and they haven't seen a specialist, but
0: their problems persist. And every time they show up for those appointments, they walk in the door, it's a different doctor. Right. At those yeah, types of facilities.
1: Not unusual at
0: all. Uh, and again, it's not to say they're not good
1: doctors. They may not be the right doctor for that problem. Many times they might be, but oftentimes they're not. Um, and and so sometimes to go ahead and, and get... Past that, that first gatekeeper, that triage doctor, uh, you are probably well advised. I mean, every case is different, but one option you ought to consider as an injured worker is to uh, get counsel to file a claim to ask for a different doctor to be appointed. Because, again, the judge has the right to step in and say, well, if the employer in the insurance company is not going to send you to a specialist, the judge has the authority to do it. Many times, just that taking that action will incentivize the insurance company to send you to a doctor so they can retain retain control over who the authorized doctor
0: is yeah the risk they run is if if they're not doing what they're supposed to do and and we win a hearing they do run a risk that the judge says that maybe we get to appoint the doctor right so you know just filing that paperwork
1: showing the insurance company that you have the wherewithal to kind of go over their head to force their hand by going to a judge to have a judge appoint a doctor oftentimes gets you more appropriate treatment, I would suggest, quicker than just kind of relying on the insurance company sending you someplace. And the, the point you were getting to about all the different body parts, not every time, but, you know, I, I've had this experience. I'll uh, hurt myself somehow. And, you know, the thing that hurts the worst is the thing I'm focused on. And let's say after that gets to feel a little bit better, uh, I realized, gosh, you know, i my other knee or my back or something else was was is also hurting. I didn't really focus on that at the time. And again, not every case is like that. But an insurance company is much quicker to send you to a doctor and authorize them to look at a scheduled body part, like one knee. Basically anything from below the hip to your toes or from your shoulder down to your tips of your fingers is a scheduled injury. And all the benefits regarding medical treatment. Uh, that's available under the comp system, is available for a scheduled injury, just as it is a body as a whole injury. But a body as a whole injury, injury to your head, neck, or back, or parallel limbs, like both knees, also has extra added benefits. And insurance companies generally want to try to keep a claim from evolving into a general body.
0: Yeah, the, the difference is, if you're the injured worker, the insurance company knows the end game. The insurance company knows what issues are going to come up and you don't. So they have an advantage (laughs) over you at the early stages where they can set the tone, they can set the evidence now because they know what's coming. You can't argue with them. It's hard to argue with them at that stage if you don't get help because how are you going to prepare your case for issues that you don't even know are issues yet? And that's what we're going to cover today. What are those issues and how are we going to address them? When the injured worker is seeing the doctor, most of the time, you know, keep in mind these insurance companies are out of state most often. The adjuster on the claim that's controlling your life now okay. uh, is setting in a cubicle in Minnesota or something. And uh, not, not to disparage Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Good uh, I'm fan. I can't say that.
0: Okay. Um, so they will appoint a nurse manager, a case nurse manager, a person that, can, that is here physically representing them, that'll show up at doctor's appointments. Now, our firm, uh, boy, I got to be careful how I say this one, right? <laughs> um, our policy, I'll just say it this way. Our policy is this. Um, we don't mind the case nurse manager talking to the doctor. They absolutely have a right to do that. No question. They can, I have no problem with them talking to our clients to advise them of appointments, uh, things that are being scheduled, like that, for that purpose. Here's where we run into a problem. The insurance company already has an advantage. You're the injured worker. You don't have counsel. Now you got somebody showing up at your appointments with you and starting to speak on your behalf to the doctor about your case. Now, if you are a bold and outspoken person and you won't let this guy or gal talk over you or speak on your behalf, great, fantastic. But most people aren't. Most people that are in this situation haven't been in this situation before. They they don't want to speak out of turn. They don't want to offend or upset the nurse manager who they think is somebody with authority. They don't want to upset the doctor. So they don't necessarily correct things when they hear it. They don't necessarily add information when they should. They become a little timid, a little meek, right? And the last thing I need is a wallflower when the adjuster's agent, the nurse manager, is now setting the course of treatment with the doctor. Telling him, oh, we'll look at that later. This is what we want to do now. Or the doctor says, I want to do an MRI, and the nurse manager says, you know what? Let's do x-rays instead, they're cheaper. that's the kind of stuff I don't like from case nurse managers. Right. Well, and a lot of
1: times, too, as you say, they have the right to get the records. I can help. And sometimes it really does help facilitate getting appointments if they set uh, appointments and notify people of that. And they can talk to the doctor and the patient, as you say, both before and after the visit. But it's where they try to go back into the examination room with the doctor and and the patient there together. I, I think you correct me if you, this isn't your Uh, understanding and practice as well. But that time between the doctor and the injured worker, when they're back there, the nurse case manager does not have the right to necessarily be back there, but people don't always know that. And so a lot of times case managers just walk in like they're on the place and the doctors won't necessarily you know, Just kick them out there
0: during the physical exam. And if
1: you don't, if you don't say, Hey, this is a time between me and the doctor and ask for this
0: person to be excluded. They'll stay in there and you're right. They'll try to and, and uh, tell the doctor what to do. You know, that's not specifically addressed in the statute, but most judges from my experience will agree that the physical exam itself, the patient can exclude the nurse manager from the physical exam, that part of the appointment. Um, the problem that we have seen though over the years is the doctor who is more in allegiance with the insurance company than the patient typically uh, will say something like, well, I don't want to explain things twice. Right. So if the nurse manager can't come in, I don't really want to be the treating doctor. Um, and, and many times then you, it's out of the frying pan and into the fire, the insurance company moves you from that guy to another guy and it's no better. Um, so it's, it's an argument you don't always want to necessarily tackle, right? It's just that I want my clients to be aware that it's an issue. Sure. Um, so let's talk about the kind of issues that the insurance company will start to control from day one with the doctor and therefore the kind of issues that we need to be able to address and how we do it. So we've already hit on one of them, which is what body parts are involved, okay? The other thing then becomes this causation question, the prevailing factor among all known factors, right? So is the injury the prevailing factor among all known factors for your injury and need for treatment? Well, just because you fell down a flight of stairs at work and now you've got multiple body parts that are injured, you would presume <laughs> logically, therefore, that all of those body parts would be covered. But believe it or not, the way the statute's written, and, and as aggressive as the insurance companies can be, they will start bifurcating out and say, well, no, not necessarily. We will treat this body part, but not that body part, because we think that other body part had some pre-existing condition in it, and we're not going to cover it. So, what body parts are involved, the prevailing factor for those body parts, um, what restrictions the doctor wants to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. What treatment plan the doctor wants to do, the testing and referrals. Um, Those are all of the things that they are gonna start controlling from day one. And so, unless you are well first in the law on your own, this is where you need counsel. Uh, You need an attorney to be in there to start identifying those issues from the beginning and laying the groundwork to address them. We can, by statute, get a second opinion. We do that many, many times.
1: Right. Well, we utilize that unauthorized medical allotment to to do that, basically. Um, At least that's our our practice here, and I think it's safe to say that's how the vast majority of people do it. It's basically getting a free examination from a doctor we can select that the insurance company has to pay for at least up to
0: the tune of $500. I would say, at least here in Wichita, Kansas, that we have a lot of doctors. I would say that not, not all of them want to participate in the work comp system at all for either side, frankly. Um, and then there's a, a healthy chunk of doctors available to do work comp treatment at the behest of an insurance company. And then there's there's kind of a smaller corral of, of people, uh, doctors that we can approach and say, look, we want an opinion from somebody that's not beholden to the insurance company. We need somebody that'll give us an objective, second opinion, and not worry about well, gee, I might not get any referrals from such and such insurance company if I if I offer that opinion. And, and not only that, I might add.
1: And uh, like for instance, again, if a person comes in, they've been sent to an authorized doctor, but they're still having problems. They may say, "Well, can I go to my primary care doctor and get a second opinion?" Can you? You you, you certainly can. Should you? Is it advisable? No. Not well, because because one. Most of the time, probably whoever the authorized treating a doctor is, is somebody who the work comp judges are already familiar with. So they'll probably have a certain amount of credibility where they may not, the judges may not necessarily know who... This primary doctor is primary care doctor is so if what you, their
0: qualifications are, what their right. history and training
1: is. So if you go through an attorney and get at what's called an unauthorized independent medical examination set up
0: through one of our selected physicians, that's right.
1: It has the advantage of one: this doctor is already going to have a, a reputation, a good reputation with the judge, so it's going to carry credibility. Even more importantly, I would say they know what the issues are that the judge is going to be looking for. They're going, they, this idea of prevailing factor isn't really a medical... It's a, it's a legal issue that's determined by a medical opinion. And so a primary care doctor may never have to deal with this and isn't quite using the magic words or, or looking at the issue the judge wants to see. So you may get a, an opinion saying something, but it's not enough to win well, yeah, the day. Uh,
0: right. How many times have we had a client bring in a report from their doctor that they think is favorable... And we look at it, and on its face, it certainly sounds favorable. But then we say, "Well, he didn't mention this, this, or this, and he didn't use these words." Um, it's useless to us. Right. It might be a piece of evidence that helps us get another opinion elsewhere, but it by itself isn't going to to be sufficient. And
1: the other two things I might say that would be makes it well advised to get an attorney to do it is besides having the doctor go ahead and be somebody who the judges are familiar with and knows the language to use. The lawyer can go ahead and a lawyer cannot ethically pay for medical treatment but we can pay for the uh, for gathering evidence and so an unauthorized medical opinion is evidence so in other words a lawyer at least in our office we can prepay for that and then get reimbursed out of the unauthorized uh, right. medical allotment from the insurance company. Whereas if you go as your as your individual to a doctor you select, in theory, you have to incur that bill. You have to pay that and then wait to get reimbursed from the insurance company. And that's that's right. a hassle. But even most importantly, okay, now you've got a report from a doctor that says something. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. If you send it to the insurance company, they can just ignore it. What you need to do is file a claim Take it in front of a judge and have somebody on your behalf explain why this opinion is more credible than the authorized yeah, doctor's you, opinion.
0: And when you have one of these issues, you want to argue about body parts, prevailing factor, the testing and treatment that you want done, optional alternative treatments, a change in treating doctor, we can file that motion. Um, when those issues come up, Setting back and, and, and trying to handle that without counsel, good luck. But because even when we do it, the time... Uh, for the machine to turn, we've got to file the notice of intent. We've got to submit the the evidence, our reports from these doctors. We got to take the time to go get the doctor and get the exam done, get the report back, set a hearing, walk in front of the judge um, with this evidence, you know, to present that. Um, that takes time. We got we need to know when these issues are happening, and to the benefit of the injured worker, that may if he's on his own may not detect that that's the issue that they're arguing about until later, most of the time we can look at a case from day one and go, that's going to be an issue. And we can start addressing it then. So we can get second opinions, we can get in front of the judge to address all of those things that they really have control over from day one. There is so much to talk about when we talk about the treatment phase of this case. We can't get it all into one episode, I'm afraid. So we are going to stop right here and we're gonna pick this up again in our next episode. Thanks guys, tune in, bye-bye. The lawyers of the Accident Recovery Team are licensed in Kansas and
1: Kansas only. If you are unfortunate enough to live somewhere other than the great state of Kansas and have questions about an auto accident or an injury accident of any kind, you can still call the Accident Recovery Team and we can partner with an attorney in your state to help you get the representation you need. The Accident Recovery Team can be found at 267team.com or by calling 1-866-267-TEAM.